Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi and welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Look, I, I always feel like I'm saying this, but thank you for all the great feedback that we're getting on, on the previous podcast. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm really enjoying recording them and I am very excited about today's guest. So I've worked with this lady for about 10 to 12 years, uh, Professor Philippa Snare from Trade Desk. Philippa, welcome. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's the first good. time someone's called me Professor. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I will ask you in a minute where, where, that, where that's come from. But just to give a bit of background to, to the listeners, Philippa and I have known each other for about 10, 12 years. We worked together at Microsoft. We did some work with you at Microsoft. You left and went on to Facebook. Uh, we worked with you there, and now you're at a company called The Trade Desk. So it would be great to give our listeners, firstly, what, why you're a professor, and then secondly, an overview of your role, please. Okay, so starting with the first one, why am I a professor? Because I am very lucky and fortunate enough to be working in a, an advisory capacity for the university that I used to go to. Uh, and working with that board means that I get a, an honorary doctorship. So I have done... I don't know whether it's fair to say I've done nothing for that, but um, it is a benefit <laughs> of working on the advisory board. And I ha- haven't really shouted about it because I was a bit embarrassed. And I also thought that my family, especially my brother, would absolutely rip the what's it out of me. Um, yeah. But then yeah. a few people said to me, hang on a minute, that, you know, you've earned this. So um, start talking about it more. So I put it up on LinkedIn and then got got the proverbial um, <laughs> answer. Yeah. Good. And then what do I do? My job today. So I work for the Trade Desk, which is a, an American, amazing, innovative company who is basically they facilitate a lot of the advertising bought online. But what the company is trying to ensure is that every company who wants to use digital ad- advertising as a way to fund them providing products or services to their customers can do that fairly uh, and it's not just one or two big companies like you know Google or Facebook like are profiting from having a, a big platform to offer marketing and, and uh, advertising opportunities on. And I'm running the and growing the um, Europe, Middle East and Africa business. So we're opening up offices and uh, setting up in new countries and um, and working with big agencies and, and brands to help them understand how to buy their advertising in a uh, better way. If that sounds like a, an exciting opportunity, I should also give you know some listeners that will recognise your name because uh, they might have seen you at some of our events in the past. You've spoken at our keynote address at the Oxo Tower a few years ago and then last year spoke at our Purposeful Leaders event that we did our, online. So, And you're a regular on, on our virtual roundtable. So there'll be many people that have uh, seen you speak and, uh, and have met you either face-to-face or virtually. You've clearly got a pretty impressive CV there in terms of Microsoft, Facebook, and now the Trade Desk, and, and what you talked about in your role there. Wow, that's uh, that's an exciting opportunity. So I, I guess what I'd like to do is explore how you've arrived at that. So let, let's start with the first question around what significant events have shaped, do you think, who you've become and the, and the leader that you've become in your journey? <laughs> do you want me to go way back? or do you like? Yeah, go on. Well, if you, yeah, please, if you yeah, think that's relevant, yeah. I think I think you get personally I've always followed the belief and I was really lucky at the beginning of my career to start working in startups and the only way you can really make a decision I think at that age because you don't know what's going to really work from a 
a business idea or not or a product um, idea or not the only way you can really make decisions is like do you like the people and so I came out of university and joined a, a startup and I was working with a few people one of them I always cite as the most memorable for me which was Duncan McKillop and it's because he he was the CTO he you know ran all of the tech and the eng and the development side of the business and he just had a really human approach to like you've got to bring your whole self to work and because that was the the first job I had and the, and the first leader that I really looked up to and admired that set a precedent that everything I do it has to be I have to to be my full self I have to bring everything like all the the quirky weird bits of Philippa as well so I also think that has shaped who I've become not like the the experience I've had in life so that I I believe one of the big ones that um that shaped me early in life was I was a lot younger I was like 16 and I developed anorexia and I was very affected by it I got like very ill and it became really obvious to me very quickly through that that um it was a very self-absorbing issue and uh, I wasn't going to be able to fix it on my own because all the problems were in my head and I needed someone else to help me get like sort them out and it got really bad and uh and I you know caused a lot of distress for my family but I learned that if you want to make the most out of your life it's your choice and you have to figure out how to make every day count and out of that that set me on a trajectory that was I just I'm very grateful for every day and I just want to make sure that I I don't waste my time while I'm while I'm on this weird ball. So I think that was the most uh significant event because it it really felt like I was making a decision about whether I wanted to live or not at a very early age. And then after that a lot of the the things that have significantly shaped me have been the people I've met and and I know that's going to be what a lot of people have said and I've heard in previous podcasts like other leaders really influence you and I but I don't think it's just leaders I think it's everybody you've worked with has some sort of influence if you're curious and and if you're the kind of person that thinks you can learn from everyone and I am. Wow thank you for sharing that Philip I've not heard that story from you before so I really appreciate you uh, you sharing that thank you. You you talked about a number of people that inspired you um, and you can learn from everyone or anyone if you're in that mindset. Is there anyone that, that you've learned from them and what was it about them that, that inspired you and you learned? Oh, picking out um, just a few people is really difficult. Um, there was a leader that came, I worked with at, at Microsoft who had come from a, a different culture. He'd come from South Africa and he came into the UK CEO position and I'd been, I don't know, um, maybe at Microsoft for about 10 years. And it felt to me like I'd been building up a reputation of like, you know, trust and, and people understood that I always delivered and that sort of thing. And then like you get this new boss in and it's like, oh, wow, you've got to start again because he, he's, yeah. he's got foggy. And I remember walking into um, a meeting room with him uh, about career development and stuff like that. And he sat back on his chair and he put his arms behind his head and he took on this pose that, I mean, I can only explain it as a, like a 1980s kind of exec pose. Uh, and like kind Seen of from his, the office. Yeah, put his leg on his knee and, and he said to me, what? so, so why, why do you think I should be like thinking and considering you for promotions? And that, that was like literally our first conversation. And, and I was like, wow. Like, and 
10, probably not even that, probably five years before I would have been incensed and really quite um, intimidated and affronted by the whole position. But instead I sat on a chair and I struck exactly the same pose and started talking completely naturally, didn't say a thing about the pose, just uh, it was so flipping uncomfortable for me. And slowly his body language like changed and it started like getting a bit more respectful and like he put his arms down, he put his legs down, he sat more behind the desk, he was like leaning in. And uh, so I, as soon as he started adjusting his style, I did the same. And um, and to be honest, all I've, that's what I've learnt in that is I learnt that from um, being around horses and how uh, they pick up on body language much quicker than they do on on like the words obviously that you use and um and so I was mimicking him and um and trying to get it into a more respectful situation so that then I felt comfortable to have a more honest and open conversation with him but um it was so pronounced in that meeting that I was like wow I like there's loads of learnings like a who don't I want to be b how do I deal with those situations with the humility and not um, being affronted and, and aggressive and and uh, after a conversation and probably about three or four weeks of, uh, of other meetings I did I did talk to him about it and said that that was that was extraordinary and I didn't know what to do in that situation I hope I dealt with it well and he was like oh I didn't even notice yeah um <laughs> Yeah. So that that was one leader that you know to this day I'll never I'll never forget that moment. There are other leaders who uh, inspire me in, in different ways. I continue to to work with a a company called the Blue Marine Foundation, and one of the founders uh, of that is um, a really amazing guy who also runs an agency, a creative kind of video production agency. He's just got such a personal passion for something that he's used all of his experience and network um, to build a business that pays the bills and then like basically uses the profit to push into his personal passion around ocean conservation and marine uh, conservation. And uh, I get to get, I get incredibly inspired by seeing people who are trying to make capital companies accountable to bigger goals in the world I don't know, I just don't want to pull out all individual names because then all I'll get is a load of emails saying, what do I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> but then equally, my my goddaughter, even though I'm not particularly religious, but um, she, you know, she's just leaving university. She's trying to get a step on the uh, on the ladder in a career. And, and I learn from her all the time because like she's thinking like a millennial and it's quite alien to me. And so when we have conversations, I'm picking up on what she's thinking and how she, what she expects of the world and what she expects of companies. And that helps shape then how I think about managing my teams and like what the kind of communication is that I'm providing for people. And I just get inspiration from everywhere. And I've already mentioned horses, but massive, like they're way of communicating is it's an inspiration to definitely boardroom situations all the time because it's all body language and i know you've used that in team development experiences as well mm. yeah, yeah it's uh, like horse whispering and yeah. the funniest one was when i was managing a team of technical sales specialists who are all like definitely older than me and like um great guys but um they're all blokes and they'd been at uh, in their jobs in microsoft for, for years and they, i think they were totally bemused about me coming in as being their manager they were respectful but they were like what the hell and uh we went on a, a kind of horse whispering course where 
you know you had horses that were behave had behavioral issues and you had to like get them to do certain things in a pen and and connect with them and uh, uh, start building a relationship with them and almost every single one of these blokes um we did two days with a very famous horse whisperer and then the the lunchtime on the second day all of them went out and went on their mobile phones and I was walking around the grounds and all I could hear was like can I speak to my daughter and they were all talking to their <laughs> you never guess what I've just done and like, I've got a video of it I'll show it to you and it was just so lovely no. uh, really enjoyed it I love that story. That's brilliant. Coming back to to your leadership and your your leadership journey, what do you think's been your biggest challenge as a leader that you've faced? I think stopping the natural, and I, I don't know if it's natural for everyone, but um, turning judgment into curiosity has been probably my my personal biggest journey. Is instead of thinking, well, why have they done that, and why didn't they do it this way, and like, oh God, why, why, how was that decision made, and why didn't they include me in that, and did it turning that into genuinely empathy and curiosity hey like understand you've made this decision how can I help what's been driving it is there anything I can do turning that round from when you're early in career and you feel like you're like almost like the last person to know or sometimes you just get given directives without really understanding the context of them and instead of thinking well that person just you know, that person just doesn't like me or the reason I didn't get this headcount was because of, you know, I'm not doing a good enough job or like they just have bias because they prefer somebody else and they want to promote them. Uh, Turning that into genuinely like help me understand so that I can be a better person is, I think it's been hard for me to to get there, probably because I'm fiercely independent and, uh, but I've been practicing it. I've been collecting great questions for probably the last 15 years and I've got a book of all the questions that I love and now I think some of my balance is making sure that I'm not always asking questions but I'm actually giving some people clarity when they want it uh, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm trying to get the right balance now of that. What what a, what a, I'm sure if I'm a listener I go what, what, what are some of those questions so give us a couple of your favorite questions that, that are in your toolkit. It depends the circumstances but I love yeah of course I love the question like what gives you energy when are you operating at your best? What yeah, kind yeah. of leadership behaviours do you need around you to be successful? What makes you most happy? I think the simpler questions are the ones that are most powerful if they're if they're in the right context. Yeah, cool. Well, I might ask you a few of those later. <laughs> so, well, look, we call this leadership confessions for for a reason, and 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 partly is it because I, you know, the the, the close relationship that I have with almost all the guests, you included. So I try and try and get you to maybe reveal a bit more than what you normally would. And frankly, Philippa, you've already done that. So thank you. But what would you say your biggest mistake as a leader has been? And, and what have you learned from it? There was a situation where I took over a team and I had, I can't remember, maybe eight or nine reports, but it was a really big team. And so all the people reporting into me were fairly senior, like directors or above. And there was two people in particular. One was running a consumer facing part of the organization and one was running a business facing part of the organization. And the style of one of the people, it was more to my suiting. I liked it better. There was more humility. There was you know, more fun. It was more risk taking. Uh, It just suited my style. And then there was the other leader who the style was really different. And I I didn't gel as well with that style. I hugely respected them both. 
but I didn't gel with the style as well. And then when it came to, you know, promoting people and, and building new organisational de- design, I let my preferences cloud my judgment on mm-hmm. uh, on how I promoted some of, um, one of those people. And within six months, I realised I had made a mistake and I and I made the wrong decision. And I felt awful. I then spoke to the person who was unhappy with the decision and felt like I'd, I'd demonstrated, she didn't say bias, but like demonstrated a preference that was not favourable towards her. And I, I spoke to her about it. And I said, I, I've made the wrong decision. I think you're right. And I'm really sorry. And I, I'm sorry that I let other things cloud my judgment. And I was really, really upset by it. And obviously she was upset and angry and understandably like you know she took it in good grace but she was you could see she was pissed off and and it affected her decisions from there and I kind of vowed to myself that I'd never I would stop before I made a decision to make sure that um I consulted with others to check that I wasn't displaying any bias that was just a preference from a style perspective rather than a capabilities perspective and I, I still go over that over and over again in my head because I just wish I'd done something different. And you've answered the second part of the question, which was, you say, how do you prevent yourself from doing that now? And, and what I hear was you do a check and balance. You make sure that other people are involved in the, the decision making and that you, you're, not, you're not falling for those bias. There's nothing more frustrating than a leader that won't make decisions. So um, I'm, you know, I'm conscious of that, but I now... Um, always seek out somebody who I know is objective and who isn't necessarily you know my friend or um, thinks the same way as I do to to scrutinize um, a little bit my decision making so that I feel somebody else has has gone through and looked at it from an objective point of view. Now see you know you've had an amazing career but clearly not everything would have always gone your way. How do you overcome you know, sort of setbacks, what's the processes you put in place to ensure that, that you can be at your best when things aren't going right? Well, my other half, uh, who you know, Liam, as um, I mean, he's just been a massive inspiration and helped to me on that one. I think my initial um, ways of dealing with it were very emotional, but I'd always bring them home and then like just have a a flip out at home <laughs> and that obviously you know that's not good for me it's not good for anyone else quite frankly and there and it and it, I think uh, it's a little bit of maturity as well however one thing that that Liam's really helped me with is kind of trying to get perspective um and trying to even when you're in the middle of something that can feel quite emotional trying to step away from it and um, imagine it in a year's time and then go right now, how would you feel about this? And what's the right, you know, what's the right approach? So I think trying to give yourself more time uh, and trying to give myself more time and not react immediately. And then also like rationale, like kind of, is this something that I really, you know, I care about everybody I work with and I care about all the businesses that I put my time to because I think that's all you've got to give in life is time so um I don't care less but what I do is try and make sure that I'm looking at the situation from outside in rather than being in the middle of it mm-hmm. uh, you know and then go right okay if I was in someone else's shoes or if I put myself in all of these positions what's the best possible outcome and how do we get to that regardless of how I feel about it or what's going on at the moment and this is going to sound 
really sexist and I don't mean it to but I have found that men are much better at compartmentalizing things than women and I've had to practice super hard to be able to do that and stop connecting things that might not be connected (laughs) to make those decisions or deal with those setbacks I mean I I think I've been lucky because my disposition is pretty positive and I always see the good (laughs) Even with really hard setbacks, I I quickly get through the change curve and go from like shock and anger and frustration up to, oh, well, this is the outcome that could be amazing. (laughs) I I also know that for some people that can be really irritating, but I do quickly get to that, like what's the best possible outcome. Cool. Uh, Well, good good on for Liam for being that, that, that someone that you can, you can lean on. I'm going to ask those couple of questions that you you asked earlier. What what makes you happy? What gives you energy? I love it when I do something new or try something that I've never tried before. I love it even more when I've inspired other people to do the same and they come back going, oh, my God, I've done this. And that, I think, is a special thing. I I love where you can give people new experiences and it and it enriches them either in work or outside of work so when you get that perfect marriage between somebody's capabilities and their passions and then a project or a topic or a thing that they want to go and do and when you get that working really well it's just like watching somebody like lose track of all time and absolutely deliver something extraordinary that that's me i love it i like it when i can help my friends and family uh it makes I don't need to be center of attention or like you know a dinner party or like whatever you would do these days it's not a dinner party anymore but, <laughs> but whenever you get people together I don't need to be the center of attention but I love like bringing people together so that they have connections and you feel that buzz in the room and like you know you can just be the one that's slightly gently tapping and, and introducing people I love that um I also uh, I love time on my own with animals um and so my my respite is either diving where literally nobody can really talk to you apart from sign language and your buddy um or with with horses and and learning something about how to connect with with nature and that to me um even though i think on a lot of those scales that you know leadership um development courses you'll learn if you're an introvert an expert and all that sort of thing everyone assumes I'm an extrovert but actually where I get most of my energy from is when I'm on my own and when I'm like learning by myself by doing so anything Mm -hmm. outside and active and uh, where I don't feel pressure to like be better than someone else uh, is where I'm where I'm happiest. Love it so on the on the flip side what rattles your cage what really gets your blood boiling? I think when something conflicts with my personal values, so I, I like, and that's really personal to each, everyone, but you know, one of my values is fairness. I want everyone to feel like they've got a fair opportunity in life. So um, when I see that I can make a difference in something um, or in a decision or in a situation, um, then I will, if I feel that there's like an injustice or a, a like you know, people are being given opportunities that others should be and why is it unfair broader when you look at like kind of the you know the world and all of the issues and and poverty and like that's too big for me to um I care about it I want to make a difference I've picked the things that I'm I'm focused on to try and make a difference in 
but I don't like get let those things get to me too much because that fairness gene is pretty strong and if if I looked around the world I'd be unhappy the whole time (laughs) if if I let that dominate things um so I think yeah fairness is one thing uh what else rattles my cage I can't abide people getting hurt um unnecessarily whether that's physically or whether that's with words or whether it's like cruelty and the inhumanity I just I do not understand it I just don't understand it there's always a way to to talk about things or reason or or like kind of find a solution and so people that are just you know intent to cause damage um really really riles me so what what, what <laughs> how does that show up how does that philippa show up a riled philippa what does that look like and sound like would, would people know i don't think they would i think what happens is i go internal very quickly and i um uh, it probably would appear like on the outside i shut down um because i'm inside trying to find a solution and uh and i'm also very conscious that it like I would not want to say anything I regretted I think probably when I was younger it probably came out in a very different way uh, and I was I was I'm quite a blunt person so I would I can't think of an example that I can give you but I, I would imagine I've said a few things that have been um uh choice words in when I was younger probably to my parents but nowadays it yeah I go it's very difficult actually for my friends and family to deal with because like you don't know it straight away until it's like, oh, I haven't heard from Philippa for a while. What's going on? And then it's like, oh, she's like, she's checked out. And it's like, actually, I haven't checked out. I'm stewing. Um, <laughs> so I think it's um, it's a very internal conflict that I I have, which sounds passive, but it's not because inside I'm reeling. Yeah. Okay. Got it. What what are the non-negotiables? If I want to be part, or anyone wants to be part of your team, what are, what are the non-negotiables? Positive attitude, no task too small. Mm-hmm. Leave the ego at the door. Respect each other's strengths and collaborate. Love it. What's on your personal development plan at the moment? If there's something around your leadership style or or something that you're looking to develop and improve, because none of us are the finished product. What what are you? What are you? working on god that list is long um (laughs) (laughs) i am trying to get the. i said to you before i'm trying to get the right balance between asking questions and providing clarity i'm also trying to get the right balance between too much and too little communication i think what the pandemic has done is created i think for all of us an opportunity to go right how do i adjust my style to make sure that i'm providing the right leadership the right tone the right environment over a completely different way of working for completely different cultures all over the world like and still intent to demonstrate the most amount of respect for different cultures who are interpreting the pandemic in very different ways so I'm I'm permanently working on like am I connecting with the right cultures am I providing the right amount of communication, the right amount of direction, the right amount of space for others to do their work brilliantly. And probably a little bit as well, practicing, or a lot actually, how much time do people need on their personal stuff to talk to you about versus their (laughs) professional? And I think 
because of the pandemic, that yeah. has changed. Yeah, it has. Yeah, for sure. And given them the time and space to, to share that. Yeah, I, I love it. Thank you. I know you do this a lot because you do a lot of mentoring for aspiring leaders. What advice would you, you know, you talked about your goddaughter and a millennial. What what advice would you share for aspiring leaders listening to this podcast? I used to try and read a lot because Bill Gates used to publish that he was, you know, he always did a reading couple of weeks and then he had a pile of books and he read a hundred books a year. And I, oh my God, I've, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do that? And And I've, now trusted that actually you can get the benefit of um, learning from others and reading um, and just getting other people to give you synopsis of what they thought was great in the book and what wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think those kind of shortcuts is a bad thing. Um, so still being curious about lots of different types of ways of working, learning about people, like learning about different leadership styles, but um, snacking on that. And I think, you know, thing like the social media forums now are brilliant for that i think the millennials love to snack rather than um digest a whole whole book so that that i think is really good practice i would say the the more experiences you can get the earlier in life on all things not just in business but you know going and doing stuff like absorbing or like doing a bungee jump or learning to I don't know make pottery any anything the more you do that the more people you meet the more experience or or different perspectives you can get on the world I think is going to make you you know enjoy the world better and it doesn't matter what career you choose there's very few of them where people skills are not required so the more you can learn about how to get the best out of those people around you, the better you'll be in any job. Love that last one. Uh, they, they're great. Thank you. Uh, before we go into some quick fire questions to, to close up, what does the future hold for you, Philippa? I hope it holds for me continuing to work with amazingly brilliant, bright people, helping others achieve things that they never thought they could building a safer internet and making sure that like my whole career has been about proving my professor at university wrong, who said to me, when I I wrote my dissertation on how the internet was going to fundamentally change the way humans communicate. And he said, this is rubbish. He actually used a different word, but this is rubbish. The internet is for academia and porn only. And Ever since then, that was 93, ever since then, I have been building a career on proving that the internet is going to be the best levelling playing field that brings opportunity to lots of people um, uh, and no other media was able to do that. And I'll continue to do that until uh, I can't work anymore. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. Right. So so quick fire questions uh, to to close up on. What's your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. Oh, that comes up so many times. <laughs> Any particular brand? Oh, well, I don't think you can beat pure basic Cadbury's. Good for you. One thing you'd put in room 101. This is going to be a common one, but COVID. All right. Okay. Uh, what are you hopeless at that you'd like to be good at? Uh, reading maps. Anything to do with directions <laughs> or geography. I am, I am awful. So bad. Uh, and, and lastly, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but what makes you smile? Currently, Ted Lasso. Oh, brilliant. Love it. 
<laughs> Look, Philippa, uh, on behalf of the listeners, uh, firstly, I want to say, you know, thank you for a really revealing interview today. It's what I would expect from you. But, uh, you know, I've learned having known you for, for 10, 12 years and, you know, you've spoken at a number of our events. I've, I've learned some things today. So I appreciate your vulnerability in this interview. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. It's lovely to spend time with you. Wow, what a revealing interview. You know, I've known Philippa for for 10 to 12 years uh, and I've learned something in that podcast today. And I think what comes over to me in that interview is just the authenticity that Philippa leads her teams with. So I hope you enjoyed that. Please check out the others and bye for now. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.